0: Hi, Merlin.
1: Hello. Hi, hi, hi,
0: hi. Merlin, I have some, I have some follow up for this episode, or as they call it in Spain, chulaton. Chuletón. So this is um, from my friend uh, Zach Gage, who's a game designer in New York, and uh, this is in response to my uh, Amazon Echo conspiracy theory. So Zach says, uh, likely other people uh, have gotten back to you on this already, but just in case they haven't, there are zero technological limitations keeping Amazon from snooping on people for product mentions. The limitations that Apple faces for speech recognition are, A, it has to be as correct as possible, and B, they're dealing with an embedded battery. Amazon doesn't face either of those with the Echo for this purpose because it's plugged in, and their accuracy is pretty much not important. Even if they only get it right 50% of the time or even only 25% of the time, that is a huge amount of functional information for them, either in that they get a lot of junk or they tune their algorithm to be very strict so they miss a lot of um, you know, false positives. Uh, Zach uh, goes on to say, I have used Sphinx, which is an open-source speech recognition library, and even at my shitty level of competence, I could have written some software to listen for product names, no problem. And the only thing that might keep them from doing it is potential blowback on the product, which, in my opinion, since it's a new category, they might be worried would be catastrophic. Um, And uh, he finally says, It is uh, pretty possible to figure out if the Echo is actually doing this. You can snoop its traffic on your network. Uh, I would imagine, like, packet sniff what it's sending back and forth. And uh, Zach goes on to say, uh, arguably, it would encrypt whatever information it is sending, um, but it's probably communicating with Amazon all the time, so you could check the packet sizes and run experiments. It wouldn't be foolproof, but if I was Amazon, I would definitely be worried about other people even postulating that this thing is doing this. So Zach feels like the only reason Amazon would not use the Echo to listen for sort of, like, product mentions to target ads is it would sort of the blowback and that it would be in poor taste. And in my experience, Amazon is a company that is utterly, utterly unconcerned with issues of taste and blowback, and they just don't give a fuck.
2: Wow. Okay, so what do we do for an experiment? I mean, to stipulate for the experiment, we should not invoke the dingus, right? It should just be casual conversation involving a want or need.
0: Well, you could, like, maybe you could um, create a story wherein you got, like, a new pet, like you got a bird, and you just start talking about what what bird toys and bird seed to buy, and then see when you go on Amazon, does it show you a lot of bird seed?
2: I was thinking something that would be, like, purple lace panties, like something that I would not candidly be looking for on my own. Hmm, I really feel like I should buy some purple lace panties.
0: But it may not be be that specific. It might be Mm -hmm. just looking for the word panties, and then whoever on Amazon is willing to pay for the ads. I get it.
2: I should really cross-dress more. (laughs) My underwear is uneventful. Ah, even as I sit here, I realize my pants are neither purple nor lace. I should really buy some panties.
0: Uh, Kyle writes, uh, I listened to the latest episode of Top Scallops and thought you would enjoy this anecdote about the McDonald's supply chain juggernaut. A friend of mine was a marketing major in college, and one of his professors did outside consulting work uh, on the side. He shared a story that McDonald's had tested a shrimp snack wrap in several markets, and it was a huge hit. But when they looked at rolling it out nationwide, they realized that they would use so much shrimp that would rapidly exhaust the entire world's supply of shrimp and quickly drive shrimp into extinction. So they scrapped the idea. You know your company has power when they can single-handedly wipe a species off the face of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Besides people. <laughs> oh, that's a
2: healthy option. That's, that is, yeah, I'm with you. That is,
0: that is totally fascinating to me. Uh, well, that was all my uh, follow-up, or as they call it in Spain, chulatone. Chulatone. How's your, how's your week? Anything we need to talk about? Any, any good foods that you ate? Any good food experiences to share with our listeners? I'm the worst, because what I do is <laughs> I go to Instacart, and I have someone go,
2: go to Costco to buy me a bunch of lobster tails and bring them to my house, and then I
0: cook them in my, in my sous-vide bath.
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. A well Costco lobster I prefer they be people of color I mean uh sometimes you want the best lobster, but other times you want the most lobster oh oh they do they do pretty good they do they do pretty, pretty, pretty good I, I, like, I, I like that lobster. not much I didn't say it was bad it's just sometimes you need a potato sack full. Yeah, where are you gonna get a? Uh, where are you gonna get just a huge garbage bag full of oyster a, tails?
2: Just a, <laughs> sahib, just a half sack today. I ain't gonna sous vide that many oyster tails. And also, get me a big ass butter. Get me whatever the biggest box <laughs> box of butter. <laughs> is. No, I want bigger butter, salted butter, unsalted butter. Fuck you, Sahib.
0: Do you? Uh, have you seen? Uh, have you watched Broad City yet? Uh, yeah, well, that's with the the two girls. Yes. Yeah, that's they're
2: funny. They are funny. I was like the one when the girl got stuck in the hole. That uh, was
0: funny. Well, it's probably my favorite comedy uh, on TV right now. But the uh, season one finale, where they go to the fancy seafood restaurant, and uh, Alana is uh, allergic to the to the sea, to the uh, uh, she's allergic to like the lobster, but she keeps eating it. That's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. That's a really good show. Have you watched Stuart Lee's Comedy Vehicle yet? No. I haven't, uh, I haven't heard of this. Uh,
2: I keep wanting to talk about it on the Back to Work program, and uh, Dan's busy. He hasn't been able to watch it. But go watch the first episode on the Netflix of Stuart Lee's Comedy Vehicle. Uh, it's very special. All right. <clears throat> Not special in a Cyrus Dewey kind of way, but pretty, uh, pretty special.
1: I feel like an underachieving student, because all you do is talk about this, and I haven't, it's like right there queued up, and I'm like, oh, or I could watch Shark Tank, and that's what happens.
0: Are you, wait, are you getting into the Shark Tank?
1: Dun, 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 Max, dun, I've been dun, swimming, dun, dun. I'm drowning in the Shark Tank. do do 3 shots for me.
0: I got nothing here. Ah, that's uh, the one. There we go. That's my boy. Uh, so let's see. Uh, f- uh, let's see. Right off the bat, uh, kind of picks up from last week's episode. Uh, yeah. uh, Philip uh, talks about uh, where the judges just fucking eviscerated him last week for this, like, fantasy he had of, like, oh, I am. it's impossible to cater to all of the judges, like, particular palates and give you what you want. They they fucking ripped him apart last week, and he's like, you know, I had my my little therapy session with the judges last week, and he's like, I feel much better. So it's just already getting off on the wrong foot with Philip this episode.
2: It's just it's what we talked about last uh, last time we visited here, which is that like it's now it's back to you know Philip being in his own head and thinking and like constantly apparently rethinking his approach like every week.
1: This doesn't deserve an episode at all. This. Ugh. Alex is
2: not like this one.
1: Ugh. All right, so I'm one- trying
2: not to be an old man about the quick fire, but but just just to close to close the uh, parentheses here, Alex. What, what's your what's your how how do you feel about Philip? You this
1: kn- week? you knew he was going to win as soon as they started. Like they gave him his little redemption thing and. Some of the guys were like, "You know what? Philip's not too bad," and they're trying to make you like Philip a little bit because he's gonna win, and you don't want to be angry at Philip at the end. And he has that dumb little face at the end, like, "Oh, I did it! Good job, me!" And I'm I felt the so exact, mad. I
0: felt the exact opposite, which was one, he got all the doot doo doots this week. The doo to do music <laughs> was out of the, control the, for Philip.
2: That was the arguably the best doot to doot I have
0: ever. It
2: was. <laughs> seen on it was Top amazing.
0: Uh, so it, he got, just,
2: it, it was so delicious, and they lingered on it for so
0: long. Yeah, and and you know they got a lot of comments from other people talking about Philip. So like my favorite was Marjorie was like, you know, when I was young, I had a mentor who was able to give me criticism and tell me that I was wrong, and that was important for me to grow as, you know, as an artist and as a chef. And I feel like Philip was denied that because he had this very early success in his life and he doesn't really understand how to incorporate criticism into his work and he's, he's lacking that sort of self-critical, um, you know, tendency that can, can co- you know, lead you to excellence. And uh, so I thought that was very sympathetic. And uh, finally, Philip said he uttered the statement uh, later in the episode. <clears throat> Let's see here. I'm just look at my list of Philip quotes whoa, 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 don't slam my bugles, um, <laughs> moving down, moving down.
1: I mean, if you listen He's, to Marjorie, she just says the heart arc of the whole episode in that one <laughs> little confession cam.
0: He, Philip said something to the effect of, I'm going to cook my own food, and I don't, oh, he said. here we go. Philip says, I'm doing whatever the fuck I want, and if the judges don't like that, they can send me home. And I would say almost 100% of the time someone says that on a reality show, they go home that week. Yep. So I thought it was telegraphing that, that this was the end of Philip. But uh, anyway, well, let's get into this. So, oh, I have one more thing, which was uh, I love that they showed the men at the top of this episode. All the men were like sleeping in and then it cut to the kitchen. And the two <laughs> remaining women, Karen and Marjorie, are downstairs talking about how they're going to stick it out. And they're just sharpening their knives. They're literally sharpening their knives. Uh, man, that was a good Top Chef moment. Really, like, I don't know if they were like, do you think some producer was like, hey, uh, I bet it would be pretty cool if you sharpen your knives right now.
1: I think they said, uh, can we get a shot of you two sharpening your knives, knowing exactly how cool it would look? And then, uh, but I I think that was real.
0: Um, I also want to get a whetstone. Like Marjorie sharpens her knives (laughs) on a whetstone, which is the coolest, manliest, most awesome thing I've ever seen in my life. I need to learn how to sharpen a knife on a whetstone.
2: Uh, I'm so scared to sharpen knives. Really? Ah, I'm
0: the worst. Do you do a steel?
2: Do you do a hone? No, I take them to my sister in law. i you sick. He my knives.
0: But you don't do, you don't, do you own a hone?
2: Uh, I'm you gonna say no. So, <laughs> this was, oh, you
0: mean one of the sticks? One, one of the sticks, the sticks with the handle?
2: Yeah. I got a stick with a handle. Yeah. Do you use it? Yeah, I use it to poke things.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I
2: learned I took a cooking I used, class. I use it off
0: label for poking. I, um, last year I took a cooking class, uh, with my buddy Greg. We went to, Uh, Kendall uh, Culinary School in Chicago and did like a two-day like culinary boot camp uh, kind of a a thing for a birthday and I learned a lot of good things but the number one thing I learned is that Americans only really tend to believe that there's like I don't know why this is but Americans only believe there's like one thing you need to do to maintain a knife which is sharpen it and that's totally false you need to sharpen a knife like once or twice a year depending on how much you use it but you should hone a knife every single time you use it sharpening puts a new edge on the blade.
2: Oh, and honing is just, uh, it's what what I would call sharpening. It's putting the uh, edge
0: back on it. It's not putting the edge back on it. It's lining up the, like, carbon atoms so they all face the right way. So it's like... <laughs> it uh, sounds like homeopathy. No, no, it's like, it's one of these, like, Alton Brown things. Like, he'll zoom in and show you the, the chemistry of it. But, I mean, essentially what a knife is, when it's really sharp, it's like cutting through the molecules in the food. So you don't want this, like, on the very sharp you know, fine molecular level, you don't want it to be all helter skelter like raggedy edge when, you know, if you look at a microscope, you want it to be this sharp, you know, this sharp blade that can slice in between other molecules. So you, you do that by literally lining up all the molecules in the, life in the knife, and that's the, that's the steel. So you should, uh, you should run your knife over a steel every single time you use it. And it's like amazing. Knives do not need to be sharpened as much as people think. They just uh, need to be honed.
2: This is the biggest turns out of my week. I did not know any of that.
0: Yeah, uh, you, and you can get them. They're cheap. It's not a difficult or expensive thing. It's just a cheap little thing. You use it every time you use the knife, and your knife performance will skyrocket.
2: Mm, I should take a class.
0: Uh, all right. Let's, I'll find a good video about uh, a, uh, uh using a uh, hone, and we'll put it in the show notes.
2: I, I, I would enjoy that. So, uh, so we get to – yeah, there's a lot of emo. I want to come back to what you said about Philip, though, because it was an interesting week for him and Kwame. Like when we always, you know, we always end up so many places. I'm very interested in the idea of expertise. And it's interesting because sometimes I feel like Philip thinks he knows why he won or lost, but he often doesn't really. And this week was interesting because when Kwame got called on the carpet, he seemed genuinely surprised by how they reacted to his shrimp later on. So I just want to put a pin in that because I thought that was very interesting. It's interesting to see like how well do you you know how well you're doing and can you really sort of quantify it? Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and sometimes also like – success is arbitrary in life and in Top Chef. You know, um, Kwame may have made a good dish that was seasoned really well and just the portions of shrimp that the judges happened to get, they had some bad shrimp in there, which is nothing. Mm -hmm. Kwame cannot test or taste every single shrimp. So there's nothing, it's out of your control. You know, it's bad product. And, you know, people, the human tendency is to ascribe intentionality and narrative to like everything that happens in your life. And it's not always there. uh uh, did you know that there's a new Instagram follower that's gained over 30,000 followers
2: I did not know that until this it was fascinating 30,000
0: followers Merlin he is uh, a social media personality named Jacques Lemaire Uh,
2: yeah that's that's that was that was quite a thing (laughs) This, this one, you know, I, I, I struggle so hard not to become an old man about things. I'm trying really hard. I'm, you know, having exposure to people like John Syracuse, people who are always thinking on a much longer scale, I'm trying to become less of a, a reactive old man douche. But, man, there were several things about this challenge that were just gross to me. But, wow. yeah, that's how it started out. This is the, the, quick, the quick fire is, uh, what was the exact line? Uh, what did she say? She said, oh, food photography is everywhere.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> people people eat with their eyes, Merlin. Oh, yeah. Don't I know that? Uh, well, it was funny because as much as I think a lot of people, I mean, just judging by on Twitter how people were like, oh, I can't wait to hear uh, Max and Merlin uh, rip this apart. People this rub people the wrong way. You know, it's kind of, I don't know, it's something about it. It's very transparently kind of bullshitty, this idea that, like, the voting, just these, like, idiots can, like, judge the Top Chef food based on a picture, but well, also, like, what, yeah. do you, what do people think they're doing when they watch Top Chef? They're looking at pictures of food and... I, I, yeah, exactly the same. Let's in the, in the interest of fairness, because
2: I'm very happy to say that there are people who listen to this program that have never seen and have no intention of ever watching Top Chef. This quickfire challenge uh, is its kind of interesting. It's got some little, little tricky parts to it. So basically, the idea is that taking pictures of your food and putting them on Instagram is like a thing, and there are people who get a following for that. They introduce this mysterious, shadowy character who has poop in the name. And the whole idea is, like, you have to... This, the challenge here is about plating and presentation, and that you're going to go and try and – Oh, God. How do you – where do you begin? I'm, I'm trying not well, to be you, negative. You have to make
0: it soignet. Yes. yes. I think you that's you take, where you need to be. You have to begin with soignet.
2: And so the idea is that like this like this person on, on Instagram who's very popular, uh, you're supposed to take a variety of different, for lack of a better word, junk foods, although there were some non-junk foods in there as well. But, you know, stuff like uh, Twinkies and Ding Dongs. There was also some pancetta and carrots, some Spam. Uh, and the idea is that you have to go and make an attractive plate, and with junk food, take a photo of it, put it on Instagram, and the winner will be whoever gets the most whatever you get on Instagram likes, I guess, uh, over a certain period of time. Is that,
0: is that a fair, neutral way to describe the challenge? That is, that is, I think that's a generous way to describe the challenge. Yeah,
1: Merlin, I feel like you're holding a lot of rage, and you don't need to. This was terrible. Yeah, it's a safe, it's a safe I, place, I, Merlin. I, I, I needed no, this so much. Just... I
2: well, I'm okay. So I'm trying to I'm trying to step outside of my usual persona here and say like I I understand. I think you know what? Okay, here's the thing. This would have been okay with me if it had like three fewer angles to it. The angle of the thirty thousand follower Instagram celebrity, gross. Uh oh, the big reveal that it's actually this woman who just said "bro" a lot to confuse us. Ah, my mind is blown. Women take pictures, and then uh, and then the the angle of the um. Making it with junky foods that you don't even, like, really have to eat. That was kind of weird. And then having it voted on on Instagram. So, like, taking it as a unit, it makes a lot of sense, but it's not for me. It's not it's not my kind of challenge, and it actually represents what I th- personally, in my own taste and interest, is, like, where I would definitely hope the show does not continually go. If it, it fails on several fronts for me as to, like, why I watch the show, but... You know, I think it was probably successful in what it intended to do, which was, like, highlight that this is a thing. You're watching this show because you like
0: looking at food. And so something, something, uh, you know, virality, I guess. Well, but it was – so here's what bugged me about it. It was just, like, artifice on top of artifice on top of artifice because it was, like – so, okay. So it's sort of already, like, poking at the fourth wall because it's, like – Hey, the way you're watching a cooking show, we're now going to make the chefs like, you know, to create the illusion of making food that goes on Instagram. So it's just like, you know, it's illusions all the way down. But the ultimate slap in the face is that they're working with like, you know, fucking spam and snicker bars. And it's this it's this whole idea of like what you make doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the quality or the content is. It's just does it look Expensive on the plate. Can you use this garbage to make something that looks good to sort of trick people into, you know, clicking a like button? Um, and that makes me feel bad. It exposes the worst artifice of Top Chef in, in the most startling, you know, with the most startling clarity for me.
2: I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm trying, like I say, I'm, I'm startling. <clears throat> mightily to, to not just become an old man, but when I look at it from like a not to be too frufru, but from like a Baudrillard or like a Barth kind of angle to it, like it is, it's a it's a funny commentary. Because in a way, if they had given you beautiful ingredients to waste on this and then not taste, that would be kind of weird. So, you know, the fact that it is junk food to make Inst- Instagram photos is, I guess it's kind of amusing. But, you know, the truth is that, I mean, that's not personally for me. That's not why I watch the show. Like, when they do these kinds of extreme stunts, it, <clears throat> I don't know, it it's, it's, works at odds with why I'm actually here. Now, now Alex, you sound like you've got some gen- genuine rage here. <laughs>
1: No, it's just, uh, I, I like Top Chef because it tell, it usually tells a story. This told no, no story. It was just a thing on a reality show. Like, uh, I really like how someone, when they win a quick fighter challenge, like, they'll go into an elimination challenge and typically do something really interesting or ballsy because they know uh, that they're safe, and then you get to see more of their cre- creativity and more of them, and... So then that was taken away from this as well. Uh, and just also making them go and take their own pictures, like, uh, I, I, at least to Philip's credit, he's like, why are people actually tasting their food? This has nothing well, to do with anything. Uh,
0: so uh, I think this is, we could spend a minute on this because to me this was like the most interesting part of the episode. But uh, can I, I'm going to use the word semiotics on the podcast. Is that? Is that? <laughs> that- I was avoiding it. <laughs> I just really? added a link for yeah. Simulacra and Simulation to the show notes. <laughs> So, when I went to visit the uh, Colbert Report back when that was uh, on the air, they talked about very seriously, the writers of that show talked about semiotics all the time. And in the office, when you go into the Colbert Report office, okay, it's a TV studio, it's a writer's room, it has all the technical amenities you need to produce the program however if the way that the set of the Colbert Report was all this like shrine to the ego of Stephen Colbert there was the sea in his picture his recursive picture you know they were playing visual games on the set to make it this like you know his like throne room that was like a monument to his ego the office which was never shown on camera was the same way so it was covered wall to wall with like Photos of Stephen Colbert in ridiculous heroic poses and children's letters to him. I mean, they—the idea was that they wanted to walk into work every day and immediately accept the reality that this show, you know, inhabited, and be like, yeah, Steve, the, the character of Stephen Colbert. We write for this character, and they want to like inhabit that headspace. And they were very serious about it. So Top Chef has its own sort of thing, which is, well, we're not the uh, Gordon Ramsay going in into the kitchen and yelling at people and doing these crazy challenges. Top Chef, to me, what what attracts me to it is it always has uh, a slightly, you know, this kind of uh, at least a veneer of, like, we really care about the food, and we're going to have these, like, actual restaurant industry, um, um, you know, legends on the show, and we're really going to pay service to the quality of everything and the traditions and the execution. You know, Top Chef has a good track record on that stuff. But when they do something like this, where it's just, like, transparently reminding me of, like, I'm just looking at pictures of food on a television, and it's this, like, total consumerist, you know, waste of time, it makes me feel so bad. It feels like it betrays the special thing of what Top Chef is to me.
2: With with that said, I feel like um, some of the stuff that they made actually looked pretty great. There's that one that looked almost like kind of like a wood grain to it. Some of it was pretty cool.
0: Whoa, don't slam my bugles, bro. <laughs> bro. <laughs> uh... That was a great Phillip edit where he was like, looked into the camera with a straight face and said, this challenge is all about art. And then it cut back to him yelling at someone going, whoa, 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 don't slam my bugles. This is the episode where I realized that he's
2: actually David Brent. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what is it that makes The Office so special? It's like, you know, what makes The Office special is that David Brent, the character of David Brent, who's in this nominally in this documentary that's ongoing, is like – the. He's such a beautiful character because he so clearly thinks it off. And then (laughs) there's a moment where he realizes he's not pulling it off. And like a nanosecond later, he looks at the screen or at the – excuse me, at the camera and realizes that he has just gotten clocked, not pulling it off and realizing he's not pulling it off and (laughs) – <laughs> Being captured in that, and there's something in the moment when David Brent looks at the camera and does that kind of sneering face, and it's it just it's it's funny every episode. And there's like the couples was one this one where like Philip looks at the camera like like you know like he just ate a bird.
0: <laughs> um. All right. So let's see. Uh, Chad. Uh, one of my other favorite things about this was Chad was uh, reminiscing of when he was in the Navy. He was frustrated because he uh, he he couldn't really make anything. He was just like opening cans and stuff. And uh, of course, he joined the navy so that he could, uh, in his words, kick whoever's ass, <laughs> did whatever they did to us uh, after 9/11. Please mention that every week. <laughs> well, like I, it's going to be tough after this. I mean, this is my last chance. Uh, but that's
2: no, no, of, no, no. That wasn't. It wasn't uh, Chad, Chad. Chad was the ass kicker. What, what? Wait,
0: was Beardy the one that said that? Yeah. Chad was uh, the one who joined the Navy to kick whoever's ass to who whatever they did Jeremy? to us after 9-11. You're thinking oh, of Jeremy. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to be Never very forget. sad to miss him. But that's one of the great lines of dialogue ever uttered on uh, Top Chef. And uh, his mom, uh, Chad's mom said, uh, well, what are you putting the food on? It's just a canvas. And then Chad realized that it was art. They, and they literally played the little sound effect. Yes. Ugh. I think they're listening to the podcast. I mean, that's the only way I can explain some of these decisions. Yeah, wait, just wait, there's going to get a slide whistle. They had a slide whistle on baskets this week. I think everybody's picking up on our game. Uh, so let's see. Uh, and then uh, my other favorite edit in this one that I wrote down was uh, Padma said, are you ready to meet your inspiration for this challenge? And I already, I was just like, oh, I was like, they need to talk to Merlin about this. And for whatever <laughs> reason, they have an edit where they cut, where they show it's a woman walks out, and they cut to Isaac and he just slaps himself in the face. Ah. Uh. What was that? Like, what? People...
2: what? It's a woman, <laughs> but she had that voice, even though she was a lisp, had a lisp, and was obviously saying bro way too much. What? You know, two other great lines that I think actually were kind of funny. Carl, it's a dish, but it's also really a social commentary. That was pretty funny. But he was, and, self, he
0: was being self aware. Oh, I, I know. Mean, I he know, was I know. hilarious. That's, oh, no. And then yeah. Chad
2: saying the Doritos are really in season in spring. <laughs>
0: I thought that was funny. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, those I I found that very endearing. I like the people who made a joke out of the challenge a little bit. Yeah, so they trotted her out,
2: and she talked about like her disillusionment with the fancy food that she's addressing by putting junk food on Instagram.
0: Yep, and then all the contestants come and take photos, and Philip, of course, takes way too long to pose his photo, and Padma's like, come on, Philip, hurry up. And him just fussing and fussing around. That's, That's just pure editing.
2: That's just pure editing to make him look bad.
0: All right, let's, uh, so before we get to the uh, beefsteak, I think let's take a quick break to uh, thank our sponsor uh, and our sponsor for this episode and every episode of the Top Scales podcast is our friends at Backblaze. Backblaze is the uh, unlimited, unthrottled backup service uh, that saves all the files on your Mac or PC. And uh, this week, instead of just going on and on about how great Backblaze is, we actually got in touch with our friend Yev, who um, sort of set up this whole patronage of our podcast. And we uh, got to have a little conversation with him about some of the new developments at Backblaze. Uh, that they're working on. Uh, I'm uh, joining the studio with uh, producer Alex uh, by our friend uh, Yev from our uh, patron and sponsor Backblaze. Uh, Yev, uh, I kind of know you because we're like Twitter buddies, and I think we're sort of into the same, um, you know, uh, tech and, and pop culture and stuff. How did you start working at, at Backblaze, and what's your role there?
3: Uh, yeah, hey, um, I started working at Backblaze almost five years ago now. I started in uh, tech support uh, when we were still just like 13 people, and uh trying to get by. Uh, and uh, now I do all their uh, like social ads, sponsorships, partnerships, uh, website writing, blog posting, all that all that good stuff. Um, I started off uh, with like a, a slight touch of nepotism, I guess. Uh, my, my, my like eighth cousin once or twice removed uh, is the CEO Gleb and I saw on his Facebook post that he was uh, looking for a tech support guy. Uh, I lived in Iowa at the time, so I uh, I wrote to him and I was like, I could probably do tech support, and he goes, well, let me send you to the hiring manager, and if he likes you, then then he'll hire you, and it worked out.
0: How big is is Backblaze grown a lot since you've been there?
3: Yeah, so we're almost up to fifty people now, wow. so it's uh it's definitely grown in the last five years, and it just continues to kind of to snowball and skyrocket as we're adding new new stuff and new features and new products. So it's definitely grown quite a bit since I joined. <laughs>
0: Our thanks to Backblaze for sponsoring this episode of the Top Scallops podcast. And for listeners of our podcast, uh, you can go to backblaze.com slash scallops for a uh, free trial. All right. Uh, Merlin, do you want to explain the, uh, the beefsteak challenge? <sighs> I suppose. Um,
2: <laughs> <sighs> um, Top Chef is my least favorite part of this program. I love doing... <laughs> I think I'm not rising to the spirit of the challenge. Um, well, I mean, we could just talk
0: about uh, buying a garbage sack full of uh, lobster tail, <laughs> <laughs> or the man banging on my roof outside that makes me mute and mute and mute. Grace, Grace,
2: could you please contact the roofer? Also, Barry I,
0: I can't hear it.
2: Yeah, it's gone now. He's probably yeah. It's so so hard to get good help anymore. Hey, so this is a great challenge. <clears throat> uh, first, I learned a new word, uh, which is beefsteak as a noun for an event. So the idea here is that there's a bunch of uh, Hollywood douchebags that get together, and they're going to raise funds by doing this old-time kind of event that actually sounds delightful to me, where you go and you eat. So the first rule of beefsteak is that you uh, there's a bunch of meat served, and you don't use plates or napkins. So it has to be all food that you can eat with your hands and something, something masculinity, and there's a lot of throwing bones and whatnot. And so they pretty expressly said, so I don't know if that explains this, but the idea is this is a, a charity event where people are gonna come and wear tuxedos, but then wear like a an apron over it. And we want f- like not finger food, not it should be more like, like red meat, manly meat meat. And so the challenge was broken into three teams. You had to come up with uh with a like a red like a what was it was it expressly a red meat it was some kind of a meat some kind of a seafood and some kind of a vegetable on the side with the constraint that uh, you have to be able to eat with your hands. No did, did they require that they do a seafood? Yeah, okay. I missed that the first viewing because the whole time I was screaming at the TV. I was like, "Why are you making a giant fish? Who who thought this was a good idea?" But still, they
0: really. So I totally missed that too. So they did say that you had to make a yes, okay.
2: yes, and so and I believe it was each team had to make a hundred portions. That's right. That's right. And so we go run around at the Whole Foods and buy lots of stuff. And there was some strategizing. I thought the strategizing was pretty good. We got to see, um, got, um, who's our guy Philip? Got to see Philip do some uh, arithmetic on paper. That was kind of mm-hmm. cool. Uh, so figure out how many portion sizes, and uh, and so then you got to put that all together. And I feel like I, I, I you know, sometimes you got to get a wonder about the
0: edit, but I feel like they were pretty clear about establishing what this event was and what success would look I- like. I agree, and in the way that—so you get to see the team meetings where they're coming up with their menus. So blue team is uh, Chad, Isaac, and Marjorie, and they come up with three dishes, and none of them involve any beef. And um, Marjorie was extremely smart, though. She was like, I'm going to make bread because that's what you want if you're eating with your hands. And I was like, Marjorie is the smartest person on Top Chef. I think she was the person who got the salt in the last challenge, too, if I had to guess. I love Marjorie so much. I I really am kind of switching my loyalties um, from uh, Kwame to Marjorie. So, but uh, blue team, no beef. Now, uh, they show the green team, and that is uh, Jeremy, Amar, and Philip. Jeremy, like, very clearly thinks when he does his, like, heads up to the camera that Philip is going home. And. They also plan to do no beef. Philip is like the one who would do the, the red meat dish, but he does, uh, what was it? Lamb. Lamb chops, yeah. And uh, and he goes, uh, he's His goes, thinking
2: is we want to have lamb and something with bones that you can hold in your hand. It's like, you know, pretty smart.
0: Yeah. And he was, and he said to the camera, I'm doing whatever the fuck I want. And if the judges don't like that, they can send me home. And I was like, bye, bye, Philip. See ya. And Jeremy, Jer- I don't have it in front of me, but Jeremy had some dynamite
2: sides. He did like asparagus and. Um, Brussels sprouts, I think?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, those deep-fried, evil... uh, those crispy Brussels sprouts looked really good. And
2: Amar made a giant-ass fit. Wait, wait. Did, who made yeah. the halibut? Amar. Was that? Amar. Okay, all right.
0: Yeah, and then uh, on the red team, you have Kwame, Karen, and Carl, uh, and uh, they were the only team that did a beef dish.
2: They decided to That's go right. Espanol. Now, uh, no, I'm, I'm, you, you know what I mean, right? They decided they're going to go with, like, Spanish flavors.
0: Yeah, and they did the pimenton. Or wait, was that in the quick fire? I get confused. They was did. The they fire? did. Um,
2: Carl, handsome Carl, did like uh like a prime was like a sirloin roast, maybe. It was definitely a roast because he had tied it up with string. And what were the other wait, things? Did he do
0: the like the pimentone thing, or was that in the quick fire? He did the spam that comes out of the can in the quick fire. No, I'm sorry, not the quick fire. The Last Chance Kitchen. I'm sorry. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? Because they also cook steak on the Last Chance Kitchen.
2: Oh, oh, oh right! Oh oh no! That was uh, that was what's it said? That was uh, that was uh, beardy make patriotism. Right. Okay. Okay. I should get this in front of me. All right. I'm struggling. Anyway,
0: here. so they but uh, so here's the deal. So I, have, I I it was extremely conspicuous in watching the episode that the teams did not pick beef to make that they did not pick big beautiful huge you know bleeding cuts of meat. It's like obvious. It's right there in front of you. It's on the scale of things that people do on Top Chef. A good piece of beef is relatively easy to execute and have it be very pleasurable to eat. And uh, my guess is that the in the way that... Because I don't believe we heard the budget for this episode.
2: No, I was wondering the same
0: thing because it's all about the resource leveling. You could put a lot th- into one thing. I think that I would guess that the producers did not give the teams enough money to buy enough beef to make 100 portions of beef and make it good for everyone. That is the only explanation. And then they didn't really explain that and the contestants aren't allowed to... Bitch about the budget. I know. I was. I was thinking the same thing because I.
2: I and actually, I haven't heard the, que- the questions. I wanted to ask y'all what you would make if you could make, make make those three items. But then I started thinking about it. My very first pick would have been, I mean, go 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 big. Go with like a rib roast, like a prime rib, standing rib roast. But like you know, that's that's gonna be that would be pretty costly for a
0: hundred people. That I think that it's the only explanation. I mean, either everyone on Top Chef is stupid and they don't know how to please the audience. But everyone was frustrated, especially in the judging, like you could feel it was like palpable, the the frustration. And I believe even let me see if I wrote it down. I believe said, oh, someone said to the judges, this was the only hint of this I got in the show. Someone complained during judging. The judges were like, it should have been Tom was like, say the two adjectives that, you know, you would go for. And they all nailed it. They all knew what they were supposed to have done. And then someone's said, Well, we couldn't get the product that we wanted. And the way it was edited, it made it sound like maybe top uh, maybe Whole Foods didn't have it. But I suspect that actually the the producers did not give them the budget to buy the the, the really high quality beef um, I mean, that they would have needed.
1: I don't know if it was Tom or the guest judge who I didn't recognize said, like, Well, this is Top Chef, you work around it. So I don't know, like I couldn't bring myself to really research like the history of beef steak, but it felt like they wanted maybe lesser quality ingredients and just more portions and you know just stick but your you, face in it. I but, don't know.
0: Which you can do, but to to compensate for a worse cut of beef, you need more time to cook it. So it's like you could get a rump roast and make it amazing. You could do a brisket and make it amazing, but not in six hours or whatever they had to cook. I mean, it's impossible.
2: That's why I have empirically picked the best three things to
0: make. All right. What do you got? You want to go first? Garbage bag full of lobster tail. <laughs> <laughs> these aren't fresh. Are these Canadian? These taste like they came from the Costco. He's
2: t- these like, are these Canadian Costco tails? I told you to get salted butter. I'm going to leave a review. <laughs> <laughs> You did my
0: Costco wrong. I'm wearing sweatpants. <laughs> um, <laughs> Google me. I'm sorry, Merlin. Are we bullying you? Am I, I don't know why I'm saying we. Alex has no part of this. Oh, no, Am no, I no, bullying no, you about bullying the Costco? Me. Okay.
2: No, no, no. I'm trying to become more self-aware about these things. Um, okay, okay. And I'm not. Okay. Uh, I got Here's mine. Okay. Uh, and the thing is, I think there's two things they made that I would also make. I would do, first of all, far and away, the no-brainer number one. Okay, well, you know what we didn't talk about also is, you know, they always the, the pressure to do something that shows off your work. You don't want to do something too plain, right, mm-hmm. unless you can do it really, really, really well. So you know what I would do? I would do – basically I have a friend from Brazil who uh, showed me how, how he and his people do tri-tip, and I'm a big fan of tri-tip. I would get tri-tip, and I would do it in the Brazilian style, which is this, kosher salt and heat. Boom, nothing. Like, I would make, because the thing is, tri-tip is not that that expensive. You could get enough tri-tips and then cut them into, like, slices against the grain. Oh, my God. It's, like, the best thing in the world. And when he showed me this, I was like, you're high, dude. Uh, his, his name's actually Gilles. He has a totally Brazilian name. He's like, oh, no, you, you just put this, uh, you know, salt on here. I was like, you're crazy. And it was, like, one of the best meat dishes I've ever had, and it's how I make tri-tip mostly now. I add time a little bit because wow. I'm an American weirdo. But seriously, you know, he, he, we went out and bought a tri-tip, and you put kosher salt on that, and you grill it. And it's exquisite. And wow. you're thinking, like, what? There's nothing else on here? There's not- no, that's really all you need. So I would do that. I would do something like Cajun shrimp because, or, you know what I mean, like a spicy shrimp and grilled asparagus.
0: That's the three that I would do. I think that's really smart. I thought that Kwame, I mean, just as the viewer not obviously being able to eat it, I thought Kwame's shrimp boil was just, like, spot on. It was- I agree with you. I think they probably got some,
2: some a couple. You know, the thing is, anytime you have sh- food that's made that way, like, there's
0: going to be some that are not as good as others, especially with seafood. Totally. And uh, man, I, I just, what, it, it makes me, when you hear about that event, the idea of like the shrimp boil where you just like dump the pot out and there comes all the shellfish and the potatoes. It just it feels, it has the right tone to it. What would you make? Oh, you're asking me? Well, Alex, what would you make?
1: Oh, God. Past. This is the fun one. No, uh, white rice. All right. Well, how about yeah. this? Just pick. How about, just,
2: just just pick a meat dish? Like for the for the uh, mammal protein part, what would you make?
1: I I would just put a live chicken on the table and be and leave the room and say I'm very sorry to everybody here. I don't know what's live going on. Chicken and
0: six dull knives. <laughs> yeah, it'd be funny if you just We're brought out see. a yeah a chicken and a cleaver and just been like, let's see let's see some, how let's see how how some, badass you really are. Yeah. Yeah. Where's, Where's the sexism? You? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Where's the sexism?
0: I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what Johnny
2: Top, how about you kill a fucking chicken? Why don't you do that? <laughs> We've seen Racha, you're avoiding it. You pass, are you doing a hard pass?
1: Oh. Well, no, I always think of the show as like, what would I do differently if I was making it? Uh, and I read once that the best Uh, and most popular episodes of Top Chef are the ones in which the judges have had too much alcohol. Um, And I feel like this one, they had not had enough. Um, And they, because they started throwing things at another table, and I feel like they would have been... uh, less harsh on the uh chef testants and they would have been funnier like why why was tom hanks's son there it was very strange is that who he
0: is he looks like tom hanks
1: yeah it's there was a lot
0: of uh that guy celebrities at that table
1: yep
2: yeah i I mean and i imagine again i you know i would blame the producers on this one because i imagine they were like you know oh we've got to make this into this particular kind of event and behave this way and You know, and and like, you know, a handful of guys at the table were obviously extremely mannered gay guys who I'm guessing do not throw bones, typically. Like that that one guy, that handsome guy, Hugh, Mm -hmm. how often do you think he throws Excuse me. (laughs) me, Oh, well. Let me me, me walk that back. (laughs) 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 Oh, my. Uh,
0: Merlin, man, you are a caution. (laughs) Uh... Alex, I feel like I feel like you would definitely do some sort of white rice or uh, white sliced white bread.
1: I'd go with Marjorie, a uh, just some. Bread and the chicken on there.
0: Yeah. I think the bread, is, the
2: bread is super smart. I think I did some Googling, and obviously I would not have benefit of this if, if I were them, probably. Although, it's the first thing I do. I do it on jury duty. I'm Googling the people on the I, – I Google it all the time. So I learned that. Yeah, you typically – when you've got the beefsteak event, you serve usually sliced beef on a piece of bread, which is perfect. That's exactly perfect. A trench – is that a trencher? Oh, like a trencher – I know trencher men. I, I remember reading about trencher men when I was young and being really – guys who can
0: just eat tons – Oh, that's uh, – I think – so in, like, Game of Thrones, they always talk about, like, a trencher of meat, and I, I think that's a bread bowl, basically. Bread bowl. Bread bowl. <laughs> uh, all right. I would do – so here's what I'm thinking. I would tr- – I mean, I'm not clear on what the budget – I don't know what the Whole Foods had. I don't know what the budget was. I don't know what the time constraints were. But if it was possible, I would have done a, a pig picking. So I would have done a whole animal, you know, where you can just get in there with your hands and rip it apart. Even if you couldn't get the whole pig, just a pulled pork, where you don't pull it, where you let the people pull it. Because yeah. that is, I mean, it's 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 a party thing. It's delicious. It's I mean, it, it's like a freebie. It's the easiest thing to make. It's just uh, time and uh, getting the good ingredient. Now, I don't know if they had time to do that. Um, also, you
2: know, a pig like that, you don't eat all at once. <laughs>
0: Uh, let's see. I would have done, uh, and I would have done bread. I would have done a big crusty Italian bread. Yep. Um, because that is fun to rip apart with your hands. It's, it's all about a tactile pleasure of just like ripping I it apart. I felt bad
2: for Cajun Man though. Cause I think as with Kwame, I think he seemed, hmm, you know what? You're really making me think about this. There was a fairly broad amount, uh, excluding Philip, of course, who has no self-awareness. There was a large amount of widespread bewilderment amongst the chef testants for this challenge. So I think Cajun man, he seemed genuinely surprised. Like, are you sure you ate the same thing I made? Because you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, also just, I mean, his sausage was 20. It was a chicken sausage, which I agree with the judges is a bizarre choice. But it's 25% chicken, 75% bacon. So this whole idea of like there's not enough fat in it, I don't understand that. Because, I mean, the bacon fat, if it's 75% bacon. I think it was 40%. Oh, was it? Maybe I don't that know. i not sure. Maybe that wasn't enough. I don't know. It was a weird, it was a weird challenge. It was I don't know. It's on the one hand,
2: who knows how much the editing, you know, editing comes in in terms of like how clear it was to these people. But I mean, I have to say, like, you know, just again, like, you know, I, I would work within that constraint of like, well, this has got to be some kind of big beefy dish. And but I did not like the way uh, Sailor Beard got thrown under the bus for the for the microgreens. I thought that was a little over the top.
0: Well, he I, I earlier he had said uh they they didn't like cut this in at, at the at the a good time in the episode but way earlier he had said after doing the quick fire he got this idea of like the plating and the tweezers and the precision of it in his head and it was hard to get out of that mode. So right. I think he did do this sort of precious thing of food and and he wound up becoming the target just because he was the most over the top. He wound up becoming the, the target for all of the judges' ire of the contestants, kind of misunderstanding what they want, you know, what the event was about. Yeah, but like even even as the whatever uh, cis male
2: that I am, it felt a little like I don't know. Uh, Donald Trump would say I'm being politically correct, but it was shading a little bit into like I don't know. Did you guys get a weird vibe from it? I
0: thought it was a little weird, a little little bullyish. It was, it was, a, yeah, it was a little weird, especially after obviously like paired with this quick fire where it's like on the one hand you're telling the chefs to make some, to not care about the experience of eating it, not care how it tastes and just make this thing that looks good on camera. And then basically having them do the exact opposite where they're like, make great tasting food and if and we're going to punish you if it looks fancy. I don't know. it It, it was not, it, it didn't cohere to me as like a whole episode.
1: It felt completely, like, yeah, it felt completely disjointed, especially because it's like, oh, we're going with the cool, trendy stuff, and then we're going back in time to, what, what was the original reason, like, to talk political, about?
0: Political, it was like a political thing.
1: Yeah. Um. And yeah, it was it, like
0: the mafia would get together with politicians.
1: Right, and it. they could have done something, I don't know, they could have even done something fun with that. Like, they went to that uh, amazing Italian restaurant one time, and they all cooked old Italian dishes And I don't know, it just felt very strange to me. Maybe someone's cousin needed a favor and they wanted to shoot there. I don't know.
0: So I I had another theory as to why so many of the chefs choked on this challenge. So typically, you know, the way the quick fire works is they someone gets immunity and everyone else knows that they're on the chopping block. And very rarely does the person with immunity come out on top. Usually the person with immunity, it's like a bye week for them. And they just get to sort of chill out and take it easy. And, of course, when you're at that, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a, you know, a a game jam or, I don't know, any sort of scenario where you're, like, exhausted and you're, like, powering through just trying to get to the end. But that temptation of, like, the relief of just, like, not caring for an hour is unbelievable. Like, you just want it so bad. And I think that because this week they didn't tell all of the contestants who had immunity— they all, in the subconsciously, imagined themselves to maybe have immunity, and they all relaxed a little bit more. Like it let everyone believe that they were the one who secretly had immunity. Yeah, and just in terms of the,
2: for lack of a better word, gameplay, the whole thing of like the delayed reaction to the Instagram photo contest was uh, it didn't it didn't work for me.
0: They also like they flashed the pictures on the screen for like half a second. Instagram leaderboard is two words I don't ever need to read again. <laughs>
1: Do you guys do Instagram?
0: Uh, I do a... I have... Uh, Instagram is my private social network. So I have maybe like 100 followers and it's only friends and family. And that's where I can just like post... Yeah, sure. No, I, 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 it's, I, this is not a setup. I'm yeah, not, it's not a, no, a blanket it's just, it's party. For, for me, so Twitter... And uh, that's actually all I do now is like Twitter and a little bit of Tumblr. That's kind of my job. Like I, I promote projects on there and you know, I, I sort of have to do it because it's good for business and I make my living doing that stuff. But I can't ever... You know, I'm always aware that I'm speaking publicly when I post on Twitter, even when I direct reply to someone. Of course, yeah. And uh, Instagram is my one place where I can sort of use an internet tool to just like candidly say something to my close friends and, and believe that it's not going to get out. And you always got Slack. Slack is built for bitching. I can't, uh, I can't, the cost of investing in a oh, Slack it's pretty is pretty costly.
1: High, yeah.
2: Know. That's such a neat service. What about you, Alex? You, you're, you're a millennial. Are you on the uh, Instagram?
1: Yeah, um mine's also private though, but it's just m- my cats pretty much. Like, my cat. Yeah.
0: yeah, I said that like there's something like intro, like like scandalous or lascivious on my Instagram. <laughs> but it's all it is is pictures of food that I'm eating and my cats. I mean, it's banal. It's like. Well, I it, have to <clears throat> have to promote things on Twitter. And so all my German dungeon porn goes into <laughs> Instagram. Yeah, but you know what? It's the opposite. It's that all of the crazy hijinks and weird stuff that happens because of Cards Against Humanity or whatever, that becomes my my Twitter feed. And Instagram is just where I get to have a life where it's like, hey, look at me. I'm reading a book and hanging out with the cat.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I uh, I'm not an Instagram person. It's, I'm I'm always a little bit weirded out. Not weirded out. I'm I'm annoyed by services that seem mostly to feed into other services. So like just the just the the, the giant dump that people take with Instagram stuff going on to Twitter. It's like, well, where are you? Are you on Instagram or are you on Twitter? Like, I get doing that sometimes. It absolutely makes sense. But, like, to do that automatically, it's kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. But even as – and I understand It's just not for me, right? But, like, I get it. Like, Flickr for me was so fun. Flickr was everything for years. And I, I love that. And I love the granularity of different groups. You know, and uh, so, I mean, I, I think I get that. But, you know, it's just another one of those things, like, I guess, like Snapchat, where I'm just like, it's, this is just not for what's me.
0: The, uh, they have a little bit of the Foursquare problem, where I still have friends who refuse to install Foursquare on their phone. Or, I mean, Foursquare, for, for people, for listeners who might not know this, there is, if you have, like, if you enjoy, like, if you travel and you enjoy good food, Foursquare is the place to find out where people actually eat and what's no actually good. It is so good. The quality of information on Foursquare is un parallel it's amazing especially if you connect it to your like twitter social graph or whatever it's excellent it's so good i find all my favorite stuff in other cities through foursquare i give it my biggest endorsement but foursquare has this huge problem where for years all of these like tech assholes connected it to their services where it was like so and so checked into foursquare here and you'd see it on everything on facebook and twitter and it was like that's just their users. I'm the mayor of this it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, for years, their users had such bad discipline and poor taste to overshare the stuff, and it turned people against the service, but it's a great service
2: I didn't I totally did not know that, that is, I still had that original taste in my mouth I mean, so that, that's you continued. know
0: what put it on your phone and never check in I mean they actually removed the whole check-in mechanic from the app entirely but Oof. just it's like Yelp but tasteful <laughs> Oh, god it's good yeah anything but Yelp would be more tasteful than Yelp um, oh my god
2: we went there for my engagement party and the noodles were totally bad and oh my god <laughs> the wait never. this place smells like shoes <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Listen, be- you guys. I've had noodles all over this one three-block area of Western San Francisco, and I've never been in a place that smells this much like shoes.
0: I I love this uh, lumpy space princess voice. <laughs> Have you noticed that uh,
2: that that oh Renee? <laughs> improbably, Renee gets more lumpy space princess every Last Chance Kitchen. <laughs>
0: yeah
2: (laughs) you must have balls like eyeballs oh my god check out my lumps
0: Uh, Uh, (laughs) where where are we here uh so uh, let's see we're wrapping it up Uh, one of the judges uh, says that the halibut seemed a little pansy isaac uh was surprised uh, when he was told that he had a dry sausage they complained they couldn't get the product. They said Marjorie was the best baker to ever be on the show. And there,
2: and therein lies a very interesting tale because, as we all know, there are two things, very related things, but there are two things that famously undo many, many people on this show, and that's you know, desserts and baking. And like so far, her baking stuff has been pretty good,
0: and it's it's always it's often the missing link for people is like I mean, desserts it's, and baking. You know, if you're gonna if you're a chef and you get cast on Top Chef and you just learn how to make a bread. Think of how often on Top Chef it would be a little Top Chef miracle to be able to pull off a bread. And a bread's – making a simple – I mean, making a great bread is very hard. But making a good bread that's, like, warm and crusty and makes everyone happy is extremely easy. It's not that hard. You just have to know the ratio of stuff and give it enough time to proof.
2: And this one sounds like – yeah, I never heard that term before, proof. It sounds like it was a little bit tight with this one. It could have gone either way, and Um, it turned out really
0: good. I will – we'll put in the show notes – uh, the the uh, new york times no need um bread recipe so it's a bread that you do not need to do any special work to and you bake it inside of a um uh, like a le crusette uh, dutch oven and it is the best bread that i have ever made or eaten it's so good huge crowd pleaser couldn't be easier to you'll be if you try to make this bread it's like use just use a kitchen scale you know put the ingredients in by weight and it is user proof you can't fuck it up And people will – it will blow people's minds how good this bread is. You won't believe how good – I love it. Let's see. Someone uh, who said – oh, Padma said that some of the food uh, ate fine. uh, And then – oh, Philip. You know what? Philip had that great quote at the end where he's like, I think the judges wanted to go to a Metallica concert and Weezer showed up. And I was like, you know what? You guys didn't like that? I thought that was pretty good. My problem is I like Weezer a lot. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Maybe it was just that. I was like – did yes, you hear St. Oh. As,
2: as Philip Wisdom goes, I think that's probably in the top three. That's pretty good.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: should, I, should I listen to Weezer? Is
1: that a thing?
2: Yes. No, no.
1: Mm, listen to Pinkerton. Pinkerton?
0: Pinkerton's, Pinkerton's really, really good. Is that the
2: but sad I, one? It's not going to come to you immediately. It, 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 that one's a way homer. it takes a little while. Pinkerton's their best record, uh, and it is an, it's an album. It's a whole album, and it's really good.
0: I think I wasn't cool enough to listen to Weezer when Weezer was popular.
2: Yeah, Weezer would probably say that, too. Yeah, basically, the singer had had this incredibly... Because he had, like, one... Help me out if I get this wrong, Alex. But I think he would had this incredibly painful operation to, like, lengthen one of his legs. And it's apparently just excruciating. And uh, and at the same time, he like wanted... Gattaca? to. Do this, huh? Gattaca? He, yeah. Is that the one where they put your hair in the, in the machine to find out if uh, they got your fingernails on file? Is that what that I is, Gattaca? I think
0: you're thinking of uh, making a murderer where they cut her hair off. Making a murderer. That's right. Now, the thing
2: is, if you were going to do that... And you had access to a car crusher, wouldn't you use the car crusher?
0: Yeah. I think you're uh I think you're thinking of uh uh I'm not smart enough to do I'm this. I'm white. <laughs> I'm angry. I've got Netflix, too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Where's my garbage bag of lobster? <laughs> I told you I wanted the salted butter.
0: Uh I think you're um, thinking of cereal. Uh, cereal. <laughs> How
2: do you do it it's so fast? Ding, How do
0: you come ding, up with those? Ting ting ting. Oh. Have you heard about podcasts? It's going to be huge. It's big. Uh, So it doesn't really matter. Let's Uh, see. So Chad's out. No more Chad. Uh, So we will never hear Chad again say that after 9-11 he joined the Navy to, quote, kick whoever's ass did whatever they did to us. Never forget. (laughs) So Last Chance Kitchen. Last Chance Kitchen. So in this episode, I kind of like this Last Chance Kitchen. I continue to like the Last Chance Kitchens mostly better than the episodes. The challenge is... They, uh, Because Chad was sort of so fussy over his um, beefsteak yeah, contest
2: thing. Yeah, it's another one thing. of those saw challenges. It's another one of those like, oh, the thing that was your undoing will be your challenge.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, Achilles. Uh, you were going to find your Achilles heel and make you confront it. Um, and, uh, saw through these heels using only your feet. <laughs> I can't. I know. Uh, so, see, they only have five minutes to use knives. They have, like, I don't know, what was it, t- 20 minutes to cook, but only five minutes you to use. you are going to make t- a big meaty
2: thing, and mm-hmm. there's
0: the, the pressure's on to make mainly mainly meat meat. Mm-hmm. And so you can only use your knives for or, five or minutes. Or as it's yeah. uh, known in Spain, a chulatone. Chulatone. Uh, so, let's see. Jason uh, may, uh, grabs a big steak, uh, and he's just going to make a, a big old hunk of grilled steak, which, uh, as he says uh, many times in Spain, is known as a chulatone. And Chad gets the, uh, you know, good for Chad. He gets the beef, the whole head,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, pulls out the eyeballs, the tongue, the cheeks. Uh, Tom Oof. is exquisitely grossed out by looking at him carve these eyeballs out. I was glad I did not have to eat that. Yeah, I could, I could live a good long life without ever seeing uh, that whole event again. Uh, at one point, he loses one of his eyes. It rolls on the floor, and he says, uh, quote, where'd my eyeball go? <laughs> and then, it's funny. There was another uh, uh, great shot of he. He decides to make a sausage out of it. So chili, th- a chili. That's it. And he throws the eyes and the tongue and a bunch of meat into this meat grinder, and you just see the eye and the blood coming out of this meat ah, grinder. Ah. That's something I could go my whole life and not yes. see that image again.
2: Mm. Mm. Well, for me, it uh, it ate a little i.e. <laughs>
0: It's called, uh, the middle, it's called the middle voice. It uh, ate a little on uh, your Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you
2: see what I
0: mean. So let's see. Uh, Chad. So they both made really good dishes. Um, there was a lot. So here's the thing. They both had a lot of drama about whether their thing was cooked enough or too much or not enough or correctly or whatever.
2: Jason had, like, I, I'm going to say at least a two inch thick, like, ribeye
0: chop. It, it was extremely impressive that he cooked that steak that well.
2: Yeah, and he was like roasting it, uh, which is a smart way to deal with that.
0: And and just, yeah, I mean, he was sweating and nervous, and he was couldn't tell if it was done or overdone or too rare. And the same with Chad; he had these beef cheeks, and he wound up not get go. He wound up getting losing because he didn't cook his beef cheeks enough. And Tom told him to cook them. Here's my question: Do they have thermometers in the Top Chef kitchen? Yes,
2: we saw um, Cajun Man using his to poke holes in sausage, didn't we?
0: W- I think so, but why is there so much drama over the doneness of meat? If you have a the
2: LCK, yeah, I guess because of the time issue. But I mean, like you know, everybody over the age of twelve knows the trick with your you know your wrist and your elbow, your forearm. You know that trick? Yeah. yeah. You know. Wait, what? Uh,
1: what? You, what, what,
2: what? Uh, a a a back of the uh, envelope way to tell doneness is what is it? I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna, I'm also, gonna mess I'll say the
0: this. I know I know a different one, which is so if you t- if you take your palm of your hand. And there's a muscle that sort of on the palm part of your hand that right behind your thumb that like sort of leads, connects your thumb talking to Talking about to the webbing. Hand. Not the webbing, under that. So the big meaty bulb under your thumb. If all five of your fingers are out and you squeeze that, that is rare meat. Now if you put your pinky down and you squeeze it, that's medium rare. If you put your next finger down and you squeeze it, that's medium. One more, that's medium well. And then if you put all four fingers down, that's well done. Good. Yeah.
2: And then there's, but there's also just the kind of like, if you're doing, if you're doing a typical, like if you're in a steakhouse and like you're just cooking ribeyes all day long, you just you get that in your bones, like you know when something's done or not. It's just that in this case, that thing is so thick. But I, you know, I'm with you on the uh, on the temperature thing. It does seem kind of weird.
0: Here's, I mean, one of our listeners has some insight into this. Like if you're working in the kitchen of a steakhouse, like a Morton's Steakhouse, right, and you're just banging out hundreds of steaks a night and you have that even if you have that expertise aren't you still constantly checking everything with a thermometer all the time it's so easy i doubt it Did, didn't you, your folks had a steakhouse didn't they mhm yeah and was there a lot of thermometers happening no i don't i don't think so uh, it was a
2: well for one thing it was a retirement community so most people wanted things like Medium well, or even Pittsburgh, like <laughs> not Pitts, but you know, the, the not, not not Pittsburgh, where it's like black and blue. But they wanted like literally thrown in the fire. They wanted it so done. Mm-hmm. But uh, now I don't know. I mean, like for me, like somebody said something. One, it sounds like such like such a silly like Zen proverb thing, but. Um, Somebody I said that you can tell when when food is going from being ingredients into food because it starts to sound like food and it starts to smell like food and it's such an obvious thing to say but I still think about that all the time where like I'll be a, like a dude and just keep checking and prodding at it even though it doesn't make a noise yet and even though it isn't smelling like anything yet so I, I bet you get really good at that that and just knowing that at this temperature this is how long like a a New York strip takes
0: in my, I don't know uh, I don't know in my Michael Ruhlman uh, book where uh, we had the, he has that great thing about uh, mise en place that we read. He says uh, onions should be seen but not heard, meaning Ooh. if you hear your onion sizzling, you need to turn the heat down. That's pretty good. I like that. So uh, that's it. Chad's out. Uh, Jason uh, continues his uh, trembling, uh, shaky uh, climb back into the competition, sweating. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You said last time you said it seemed like he has the DTs, and now I can't unsee that. <laughs> How is Tom doing this week, Merlin?
2: Uh, Tom seems a little bit like a dry drunk this week. He's, he's, a, he's a little bit mad. He he seems kind of kind of flustered. When I see that, though, I assume he's mad at the producers when I see that. When I see Tom seeming like he's not a very happy camper, I'm assuming that's cuz He's probably frustrated with the producers for some reason.
0: He did have that mad drunk thing where he was like mad at the chefs for something that was his fault. It was like he didn't explain the con- the the parameters to them well Yeah, enough. that's like George W. Bush, a dry drunk, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know you know what I mean, where someone gets drunk and they like confuse agency a little bit and they get really, you know what I mean, where they're like. Oh, yeah, sure. They that's make that's a mistake one of the performance and, characteristics of alcohol. Yeah, you just take it out on whoever's standing near you. I'm not appreciated. Where's my garbage bag of lobster? <laughs> it's like the uh, Arrested Development joke where Tobias like uh, is lecturing someone about uh, displacing their emotions. And then he slams the uh, refrigerator closed and goes, where the fuck is the milk?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Everything you need to know about life is in that show. Oh, it appears I've blown it again. <laughs>
1: is not Top
2: Scallops. Now next week, oh my gosh, you guys, you guys, next week, shit gets real.
1: I cheated. I watched the uh, next time on Top Chef because I'm excited. Alright,
0: tell me, now I'm the only one who doesn't know. Well, first of all, it's everybody's favorite. Uh, It's Restaurant Wars
1: and it's a (laughs) two-parter.
2: I love that Alex is here and I love how reluctant she is to do it.
1: (laughs) I just wonder if we started talking about Shark Tank or Doctor Who, if people would even notice. Would uh,
0: Merlin if uh, if you had to if you had to pick one Parks and Rec character, I know that your child is important, okay. but if you had to pick one Parks and Rec character that Alex was, who would it be? I would she be Anne?
2: Oh that's interesting. <laughs> hmm. Anne Perkins. Mm. <laughs> Anne Perkins. Leslie Nope. Anne Perkins. Oh my god, I love that show. Hmm. We watched the last episode
0: last night. Hmm. I'm curious, uh, just from our listeners, who would you say? Who? who, who well, I don't want to say. I don't want to say because I know the correct answer. But uh, uh-huh. just for our listeners, uh, send us a toot.
2: Toot us, toot us out. Toot us out on the uh, on the tutor. Whoever gets the most likes uh, gets a free eyeball from a cow. <laughs> Make it count. <laughs> I don't want to steer you wrong.
1: Wait, yeah? Max. Then who who is Merlin on Parks and Rec?
0: Uh, Merlin is uh, Chris Traeger. There's no question. He's sort of like fast talking and pretty, pretty upbeat. This too is my nice. new friend Madison, and yeah. she's amazing. And
2: she drove me here. <laughs> I'd be Craig. I'd totally be Craig, obviously. Oh, interesting. You I could see that. <laughs> yep. We're having a moment, you monster. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love,
2: him. I love him too much. I love his character too, too much. And his little weird eye <laughs> and the face that he makes. He's perfect. <laughs> she drove me here. <laughs> uh. Do you ever watch? Do you ever go out and search for bloopers from that show?
1: Yes. Oh, well, really. the one.
2: Their bloopers are like Chris Pratt. I guess if you're a professional actor, he might be insufferable, but he is so goddamn funny and stuff that never makes it into the show.
0: Uh, the one where he throws. What is it? He, he right. throws his shoe throws at the... It and he <laughs> and, and the lighting fixture falls down. <laughs> yep. So amazing. In what was clearly like a rented government building.
2: But just it's, the whole thing is delightful because you've got this, all these wonderful characters, your pals on TV that you love. And then when everything starts breaking down, they all become different than what you'd expect. Like Aziz Ansari is always very professional and he just kind of smiles a little bit. You know what I mean? But like, and, and, uh, and April Ludgate, uh, Karate Dwyer, like she's always very, you know, kind of reserved. Mm-hmm. But it's just funny. And then, like, and then uh, Ron Offerman just like, just bust a gut. It's so freaking funny. Oh, we help a lot of people. Okay, I gotta go pick up my dumb kid. Oh my God, I gotta go.